speech. I'm grown a physical from this cursed river air. I suppose you've come to see what ails me. HPPodcraft.com We are back at the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And I'm Chris Lackey, and that's at hppodcraft.com. We are glad to be back. Uh, apologies for the interruption in your Charles Dexter Ward service. In all seriousness, I want to thank everybody for their comments and emails and messages of support the last couple of weeks. I really appreciated them, and, and I know Andrew Lehman did as well. And, you know, many of you said that we got to have priorities, family first. The podcast can wait, and, uh, you know, you'll still be here. I thank you for that. And it's true, but, you know, Chris, so many times in my life I've had to deal with difficult things, and what helped me get through it was being able to get together with friends and talk about movies or music or, in this case, books. Absolutely. You know, in the grand scheme of things, uh, you know, all our geekiness here is immaterial, I guess, but in my personal life, the show is really one of the most important things I have, and, and that's largely due to the friendship of our listeners and, of course, Chris and Andrew and everybody who participates, including our marvelous reader today, Matthew Foyer. Yep. So thanks again, everybody, and, and let's get into talking about some wizards and some monsters. How about that? How about it? Well, where we left off last week, Dr. Willett got a, a little missive, a letter, if you will, yeah. from Charles, uh, Charles Dexter Ward. Being that this is the fourth part of our coverage of Charles Dexter Ward, I'm, I'm going to s- skip over the summary of what has gone on in the story so far, because now it's gotten so long that it will take us yeah. <laughs> too much time. If you want to know what's it's happened so far, there are there are three other episodes that you could listen to well one person who who kind of knows what's going on is dr willett who's been following this thing and the letter that he got from charles x award said come over i'm going to explain to you what really has been going on what all of the all of the stuff that i've been hinting at and that i've been lying about is really what it, what it all really means also shoot dr allen on sight and dissolve his body in acid don't burn it yeah <laughs> Very, very extreme. Which is the greatest PS of all time. <laughs> That's, yeah, just the postscript. It's not very important. Oh, yeah, by the way. Anyhow, uh, Dr. Willett, after spending the whole afternoon uh, attending to some patients. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's actually where we left off yeah, last time. I was laughing about that. He gets this letter that is so urgent. Please come. I need your help right now. And he says, all right, I'm going to wait until four, and then I'll go over there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So he goes Which over. Was a bad idea. It was a bad some idea. Things happen during the day. Well, well yeah, he goes. He goes over there to to see what's up, and of course Charles isn't there. He's gone, and yeah. he asks what happened to Charles, and uh, the guy goes, "Oh, well, you know, he must have left at some point, even though we were guarding, because he's got guards, you know, detectives protecting yeah, guards him. Guards in the house. Guards in the house. The guards go. He must have slipped out somehow because he came up to the door and said, "Oh, you know, I'm I'm going to come in. Saw him come in, and then." There was a kind of a noise and a scuffle of some kind that happened in his room, and then he came out and just and he just left. Yeah, and I mean, it's pretty obvious what happened here. <laughs> yeah, it's really right? obvious. <laughs> Joseph Kerwin showed up, who looks just like who looks just like Charles X Ward. He showed up, went up the stairs, strangled Charles, killed him, and yeah. then left. Yep, hid his body somewhere in the house. Exactly. Because he didn't leave with a body. No. So, but that actually, you know, it's so obvious, it's almost laughable, but at the same time, it's pretty frightening that Kerwin was just like, the minute this kid showed any sign of weakness, he just walked right up the stairs and killed him. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't even have a plan. No. He just went up and did it. He just did it. It's one of the things, um, in Ken Hyde's book, Tour de Lovecraft, he uh, Uh mentions that he thinks that Joseph Kerwin is Lovecraft's best villain. 
I, I'd have to agree. Yeah. Certainly so far. I mean, he, he really is. Uh, I mean, he's stealing Ben Franklin. You know, he's strangling people. <laughs> he's running around town drinking people's blood. He's a really scary guy. Well, and just very proficient, you know, throughout the story. I mean, he's he just can't be beaten. He seems really clever and deceitful. And I mean, you really get a yeah. sense of, of who the guy is in the story. It's, it's really, really cool. And he's very frightening. It's interesting you say that because he does make mistakes. But he's really good at rolling with it, yeah. you know, as we're about to get to. So Dr. Willett shows up that evening and Charles isn't there, as you said. And so he just waits and he waits and he waits and finally goes home. Now, the next morning, Willett gets a message from Mr. Ward saying that Dr. Allen had called. Dr. Allen being this mysterious bearded compatriot of, of Charles mm-hmm. saying, I've got to leave. Charles is the reason Charles left is he's out at the bungalow. He's taking care of all the research now. It's not right. me anymore. He can't be disturbed. And Dr. Willett doesn't know what to do exactly, so he waits a week. (laughs) (laughs) He waits a week! He waits a week, and then finally he decides to go visit Charles over at his uh, bungalow. Uh, When he heads out there, it's, it's, uh, you know, pretty creepy. You know the whole the whole area and everything like that. The house is kind of neglected. It's sort of out in the in the boonies. It's very decay ridden. And when he gets to the door, it's answered by the Portuguese uh, guy, Tony. Right. Tony. Tony. <laughs> His name was Tony. <laughs> oh, Tony. Well, Tony. when he says, you know, it's surprising because he's this Portuguese half caste kind of mulatto rough. And then he says, let him in, Tony. <laughs> That's when it, it fails to be intimidating. He comes in, and it's all dark, and, and you know the lights aren't very good in there. And he says, Charles is in there, and he's speaking in a really raspy voice. Yeah, he can be, he's got a faint, yeah, exactly, whispery voice as if he's hoarse. And, and actually, Willett thinks this is the moment when Charles has really gone insane. Now, through the whole story, he said, I don't think he's crazy yet. I don't think he's crazy yet. When he meets him. At this point, he says, this guy's lost it, finally. Yeah. Because the way he's speaking, it's archaic. He looks crazy. And he says, uh, you know, what's going on with your uh, voice? And uh, Charles says, I am grown for physical from this cursed river air. Uh, you must excuse my speech. I suppose you are come from my father to see what ails me. And I hope you will say nothing to alarm him. What's one of my favorite lines? I love it. That's actually fairly accurate uh, in the in the movie, The Resurrected. Yeah, I know. We always used to quote that. Although yeah, I, I always thought it was, I thought it was a physical, not yeah, the I thought, physical. I think he saw. I think maybe in the movie he says a physical, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not yeah, sure. Chris Sarandon. He's he's great in that part of the movie. <laughs> well, Charles gives him the same old rap that he's been giving him the whole time, or this, you know. I say Charles in quotes. You can't see my air quotes, but uh, he says, uh, you know, look, I'm, I'm onto some big stuff. In fact, he says the bigness of it has a way of make, making me lightheaded. I love that, too, the bigness of what I'm doing. Um, I'm onto some things. It got me a little freaked out because the researches that I'm doing are so interesting and cool and, and, and crazy that I freaked out for a while. That's why I wrote you that letter. Mm-hmm. Everything's fine now. but um, Oh, and Dr. Allen is, is a great guy. He's totally yeah, cool. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Don't worry about Dr. <laughs> Allen. He's, don't dissolve him or anything. I yeah, no, no. He, and he's out of the country. He's gone. You know, don't yeah. worry about him. He's doing some other stuff. Everything's fine. Charles does give a hint here about what the research is about. He says, I have a way of, of finding out things from history without books. So you must imagine how I'm going to be able to contribute to art and science and history and that sort of thing. At that moment, I wonder, does he really mean that? Is it is this a Kerwin kind of trying to 
what's going on in his mind, trying to figure out what is. Well, I wonder if he really does genuinely want to contribute things. I don't think so because I know that there's some evil plan afoot between he and and Hutchinson and Transylvania and Orn in Prague. Yeah. Um, that has something to do with raising an army or something like that. But maybe also the reason he got into. I mean. Because I think about how Curran was the civic leader back in the day. So is is there some hope for humanity in his plan at all? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, the impression I get from him is that all those things that he did that seemed nice back in the day were only to allow him to amass more personal power. Right. And so this is probably the same thing. And he's I, just saying I, yeah, I think he's just saying this because he thinks this is something that, one, Charles would say, but also that Willett might want to hear. Right. Well, the conversation doesn't go great because he keeps accidentally lapsing into tales from the 1700s, <laughs> which I can't understand how the flow of that conversation works. You know, because what, what Willett is doing is he's trying to get him to talk about things. Because Willett has known Charles since he was a boy, so he's saying, you know, Charles, don't you remember when you and I played catch in the park when you were a lad? Don't you remember that? And and then Charles is saying, of course I remember it as clearly as one might remember a play from 1692. You know, I mean. He, <laughs> He keeps saying the, uh, these ridiculous things about yeah. what is it about somebody's wig falling over and uh, oh yeah 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 it's, it's hilarious. Although there was one creepy detail, he says something about um, there was a creaking of a signboard back in the 1700s that sounds exactly like the first few notes of a new jazz piece on all the radios. Right. Some, yeah. Something about that detail I found kind of chill. That's very creepy, but I mean, I gotta say that Kerwin's not doing a very good job of uh, right. Well, that's what I'm talking about. He he's making mistakes, you know. Yeah, he's making huge mistakes, and and some of it, I wonder if it doesn't have something to do with being reconstituted from his essential salts, you know. I mean, if his physiology is all messed up, maybe his brain's not working right. I don't know. Could be. It's pretty neat. I mean, and as much as I have beefs, you know, with it being so obvious, I think that that it's okay because it makes it more scary, you know. Yeah. Well, I think Lovecraft knows it's obvious. He's such a smart guy. I have a hard time believing that he thinks he's building something suspenseful here. I think yeah. he gives away what he wants to give away. It's sort of like Hitchcock showing you the bomb under the desk. Right. You know, he wants the audience to know what's going on. What's important to him is that the characters in the story don't know what's going exactly. on. Exactly. Yeah. So we know, they don't know, and that builds a, its own sort of interesting right. suspense. Because, I mean, well, we're, um, we're worried for the characters, and we know the, the real danger that they're in. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, will it... After this unsatisfactory interview, he leaves. Um, he's sure now from the he, Charles had given him a uh, given him a tour of the entire building before yeah. he sent him off. And Willett says, "There's not enough books here. Yeah, for this to be where no the way. real library is or the real laboratory." Uh, but he leaves and he talks with Mister Ward. Mister Ward goes out and visits Charles, and it's a bad interview as well. I mean, it, Charles shows him no like filial respect at all. I mean, it's almost no. as if he doesn't know him. Right. As a result of both those interviews, they decide to do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, not not at first. Not nothing. I mean, they do decide to let's start collecting more information. They go out and they they get more gossip from the townspeople. Yeah. About these sounds from underground. Mm -hmm. They find out more about how disliked Charles is, how disliked right. his uh, servants are. Well, they sit and they try to puzzle it all out. Right. And I mean, they know about the supposed Joseph Kerwin tunnels underneath the, the house, the catacombs. Right, right. And they so, suspect there might be something like that going on because people are hearing wails and chants and ritualistic type things coming from underground. And it couldn't possibly be from just the cellar. It's coming yeah, no. from somewhere else underground. 
Absolutely. <laughs> Just like uh, Capone was brought down by tax evasion, the banks are what finally get to Joseph Kerwin. Well, since uh, Kerwin is just impersonating uh, Charles. Somebody's got to get write the checks, and so he's you know right. trying to fake his fake his signature on the checks. But the bank is going, hey pal, this ain't this ain't Charles Dexter Ward's signature. They go out to talk to him, and he says, oh you know oh this air oh it's made, I feel terrible. It's me. <laughs> oh it's my handwriting. It's just oh it's, <laughs> I can't I can't even write anymore. I feel so bad. So sorry. That's that's it's just my bad handwriting. And they're almost ready to buy that, but the problem is that he's completely forgotten how banking works, you know, in the twentieth <laughs> century. I mean, that's the real problem. Yeah. He just doesn't get any things that he he could easily navigate just a, a couple of months before he's unable to understand or, or talk about in any realistic way. He keeps calling it an ATM machine. You're like, why do you why do you say machine? It's already in the acronym. Automated teller. Machine, not ATM machine. See, that's you're just saying exactly. machine twice. That's how they get him. Yeah. So, the, well, the bank goes to Mr. Ward, who calls Willett, and and uh, when Willett's looking at those signatures on the checks, he's all, "Where have I seen this before? <laughs> this crabbed handwriting. Boy, it looks awful know. familiar. I, I just yeah. can't place it though." Yeah. So they call in some alienists, finally some mm-hmm. psychologists, to figure out what's going on, and they consult with them. Willett, you know, he reviews all of his data about the case again, and that's when he. Uh, we'd reference in previous episodes when he starts to wonder about those articles that Charles had lost from mm-hmm. the papers. Right. So he, you know, he gains that information about the grave digging and that sort of thing. So they they all man up the alienists and uh, Mr. Ward and Doctor Willett, and they go out to Charles' bungalow to tell him, "Look, he's got to be put away," and he gives in really easily. Yeah. He just says, "Well, okay." You know, I think you guys are making a mistake here, but you know, I know you're concerned about me, so I'll go in and uh, and uh, you know, go through your 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 business here, and then you know, you'll see eventually that I'm fine. And that's diabolical. I mean, that's that's where he's making adjustments, knowing that he's made mistakes. So when you're reading this, you're going, "Ah, oh, Kerwin's such an idiot," but when he does this and he just gives in, yeah, that's so smart. I mean, it's so the best clever course of action. Yeah, because they're gonna. Put him through what, how it doesn't matter how long it takes. A couple of years, he's in a hospital. Big deal. Yeah, you know, all his research is going to still be there. He's got friends who are still working 150 yeah. years or so. You know, yeah, when been it, out of it for so long, doesn't matter. In the yeah, scope of time. Yeah, when he's a you know a, basically an immortal guy, two years is nothing to him. So he just says, yeah, right. Exactly. You know, if this is what it's going to take for get these people off my off my case, fine. So Mr. Ward starts typing fake letters to Mrs. Ward, who's still in Atlantic City, resting yeah. from all of the trouble that she's been in. I feel bad for Mrs. Ward. She's being duped by everybody. Yeah. I know they're doing it to, you know, for her own good because uh, her mental health isn't as strong as, you know, a man because she's she's female and she right. can't handle these things. <laughs> so they try and sugarcoat it and and lie to her because they, you know, spare her. Think if uh, if the case of Charles Dexter Ward was told from her perspective, it would be the most boring <laughs> story ever. I have a good boy. <laughs> he does everything right and he's safe all the time. <laughs> The end. <laughs> oh, that's a good, good one. They start collecting his mail while he's in hospital, of course, and they get some interesting letters. They get one from Prague, who is—it's presumably from Simon Orne, mm-hmm. who's you know been alive for a few hundred years, and yep. he talks about that's where he says, you know, forget not, I am desirous of BF, if you could possibly get him for me. You yeah, know, yeah. G and Phil. There's a reference to Philadelphia as well, so. Uh-huh. That's 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 the clue that they're. they're it's they want obviously to Ben Franklin. Yeah, oh, it is. Bastards. He also makes reference to he accidentally sent the wrong specimen to Charles. 
You know, these guys are trading bodies. Like yeah, well, not just bodies. Cards. I mean, they're trading humans because, I mean, when they get the bodies, they're able to resurrect them. So, mm-hmm. they're you know, they're passing people around like they're, you know, uh, baseball cards. Yeah, it's crazy. But there's a problem. He says, you know, nine out of ten headstones have been moved around. So sometimes we send you somebody and it's not the right person. Yep. You really have to be careful <laughs> who you're raising up. <laughs> this makes Mr. Ward and, and Dr. Willis say, well, wait a minute. This is addressed to J.C. and Providence, and and they make reference to Charles in the letter as the boy. So yeah. clearly it wasn't meant for him, so it must be this Dr. Allen who's really been running things out here, not Charles. They're yeah. slowly putting it together. Not right, man. They Actually, they go out and they quest. After they get this letter, they go out and they talk to Charles. And uh, that's another great Kerwin moment because when they leave, they go, you know what? I think he was pumping us for information the whole time. Here yeah. They thought they were questioning him, but he was questioning them. Yeah, about what was in the letter because they read the letter and, and they ask him, hey, what's up with this letter? And he goes, oh, uh, gosh, let me let me uh, find out what you know about this letter because I want the information that's in that letter. <laughs> yeah, he dupes them. It's oh, awesome. Man. Well, they're still rationalizing, though. They think maybe everybody, they keep using the word avatar, like these people that are in this conspiracy with Charles are all sort of adopting the names and the handwriting and the character of these people right. from the 17th and 18th century. Which is honestly a much more logical explanation. Yeah, sure. They're Civil you know, War reenactors, basically. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> but I mean, you got to remember that these characters are in a world where magic and, and zombies, they don't know that they exist, you know? No, you're totally right. And even when I'm making fun of him for waiting a week to do anything or whatever, I mean, if you try and put it in some kind of modern corollary, I mean, I've had friends who, you know, were, we were worried about their uh, drug addictions or whatever, but yeah. you don't just barge into their house every day. No. You say, gosh, I hope they're okay, and I hope they're not doing what I'm worried about, but you'll wait to see what they do with themselves. You know, you, right. you don't just invade somebody's privacy. So right. even when they're worried about Charles being out in that bungalow, you know, it does make sense that they might say, well, I hope it just turns out all right. right he's yeah. an adult. Exactly. I mean, yeah. they they have no idea at this point that, that he's been murdered and replaced by his dead ancestor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that, that, that's a crazy notion. That's I would insane. never believe that. No. I would never believe it that. Would reta- it would take an insane amount of proof for me to actually entertain that idea. Well, they get some more proof in another letter from Transylvania, from Hutch. Good old Hutch. Back. Yeah. And he's pissed, actually, because Transylvania has passed from Hungary to Romania, yeah. and the Romanians are much more officious in invading of his privacy. But he's got so much stuff in his castle, he can't just up and leave. That seems to be the problem with all these guys, you know? Yeah. No, they have to really just kind of burrow in and wherever their labs are they can't have like a mobile a mobile unit but a mobile unit would make the most sense if i ever get involved in some necromancy i'm going to set it up like a food truck you know keep my lab in a big rv i can go anywhere oh no dude like a rv screw that get like a a, a semi truck you know like night industries <laughs> remember remember how kit would drive do, into the back yeah. of it yeah just have yeah. a big a whole big thing like that and have your whole mobile lab unit set up there yeah i don't know why these guys are idiots why didn't they think <laughs> I mean, of course, it's 1928, so I don't think there really were a lot of big trucks like that around. Well, Knight Rider hadn't come out yet. No, no. They wouldn't know, yeah. yeah. They don't have the information that we have. You can't judge history by what you you know today. No. You know, I often say, these guys, it doesn't matter what field of uh, history I'm looking at, I go, these guys haven't seen Knight Rider yet. (laughs) You have to go easy on them. You have to go easy, yeah. In the letter from Transylvania, it says there was no need to keep the guards in shape and eating off their heads. Yeah, what's that about? That, that detail freaked me out, man. <laughs> <laughs> eating off their heads. I don't real. I don't. What does he mean? He says there was no need to keep the guards in shape 
and eating yeah. off their heads. So, and it made much to be found in case of trouble, as you too well know. But what does he mean? Like they are there? They're eating off each other's heads. There, or is it just like a figure of speech? Like I ate my head off. I don't know. Or are they literally eating their heads off? I'm very confused by. Or that, are they? It's... Well, we find out later that there's the guards, and then there's the bodies that they raise to get information from. So, like they raise up these servants almost to help them like, torture the bodies that they raise. Right. But I still am kind of unclear, and I, hopefully some listeners can puzzle this out with us. Who's getting their heads eaten off? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Do they eat the heads off the people that they're torturing, or uh, right. I don't get. I, that must be what it is. I don't know. But he also yeah. says in here, in this letter, you know, if that if that boy's getting too squeamish, you're going to have to off him. Yeah, he says, you know, you can't call him down with a spell, but, you know, you still got a pistol or a knife or your hands. Yeah. And, and graves are not hard to dig. <laughs> yeah, wow. that's a that's a pretty harsh letter. But, you know, he's a friend. Yeah. He's, <laughs> well, you also get a clue about their plan that, that uh, Lovecraft cleverly never really spells out for you what it is. But he says... It'll be ripe in a year's time to have uh, ye legions from underneath, and then there are no bounds to what shall be ours. Legions from underneath. So they've got – there's a bigger plan of yeah. – you know, what Charles in his letter to Dr. Willett earlier says, look, man, everything is at stake. It's not just my life. It's not just some little plan going on. I mean the whole world and the solar system is in trouble here Yeah, from whatever these guys are cooking up. And there's a little other hint that they're going to call up these legions, but – we never get to know what the plan is. No, no. It makes it even creepier. You don't need to know. You just know it's bad. Real bad. And uh, my gosh, I wish I could find out what it is, you know? <laughs> just me as a reader. I want to know. What were they going to do? <laughs> were they going to have some kind of like skeleton, half-formed army? And then and then what? Uh, yeah, it's, it could be. Or maybe the, it's an army of demons. Maybe it's maybe they're opening up like a gate to hell and stuff. Who knows? Oh, yeah. Oh. Or it could be, you know, some Lovecraftian creature monstery kind of you know like cthuloids or or as as his author the dreamlands or who knows yeah dracula's and frankensteins well <laughs> 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 it is true though that these guys are messing around with more than calling bodies up i mean they they make reference several times to the fact that they're calling some things up from outside or from beyond yeah and that's da- a dangerous practice in fact in this letter that from transylvania he says you know you're sensible to stop doing that to not traffic so much with those outside um, and he also mentions that he's going to, he's going to, he says, don't take Charles out with a spell. Yeah. So there's some other stuff that he can do. You know, maybe it's like a curse or he can shoot, you know, eldritch beams out of his hands like Dr. Strange. I think he can. I, man, there's so much neat stuff in here. Well, so finally, after this letter, I mean, Willett and Ward, they really start putting it together. Yeah. They get detectives immediately together to check out who Dr. Allen was or is. They fear mm-hmm. that he might be this avatar of Joseph Kerwin. And then uh, with them sending off the detectives to check out Dr. Allen, we get into the final section of the story. A nightmare and a cataclysm. And now swiftly followed that hideous experience which has left its indelible mark of fear on the soul of Marinus Bicknell Willett and has added a decade to the visible age of one whose youth was even then far behind. Dr. Willett had conferred at length with Mr. Ward and had come to an agreement with him on several points, which both felt the alienists would ridicule. There was, they conceded, a terrible movement alive in the world, whose direct connection with a necromancy even older than the Salem witchcraft could not be doubted, that at least two living men, and one other of whom they dared not think, were in absolute possession of minds or personalities which had functioned as early as 1690 
likewise almost unassailably proved even in the face of all known natural laws. What these horrible creatures, and Charles Ward as well, were doing or trying to do seemed fairly clear from their letters and from every bit of light, both old and new, which had filtered in upon the case. They were robbing the tombs of all the ages, including those of the world's wisest and greatest men, in the hope of recovering from the bygone ashes some vestige of the consciousness and lore which had once animated and informed them. Boom. There it is. There it is. So, you know, I mean, they, they get what's going on. They just haven't figured out exactly yet that, that Joseph Kerwin has replaced Charles. Yeah, that's the one last key thing that they haven't figured out. <laughs> There's a great line in the next paragraph where they say, uh, this, a hideous traffic was going um, going on among these nightmare ghouls whereby illustrious bones were bartered with the calm calculativeness of schoolboys swapping books. There you go. Which is a better way to say what we said earlier, that they're like trading baseball cards. Baseball cards, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so cool, though, you know, these nightmare ghouls. Who would you... That's a good uh, party question, you know? If you... Say you're a necromancer. Sure. Who would you call up? Who would I call up? To well, interrogate. Obviously, H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you'd call him up? Obviously. Come on. Yeah, I, gotta, I, I, I so. want to know what happened. I have a lot of questions for him. Yeah. I have a lot of questions for him, and I would tie him to a chair until I got them all. <laughs> and then I, I would Aww. have uh, one of my henchmen eat his head off. <laughs> well, how about you, Pfeiffer? Who would I call up? Jackie Gleason, maybe? <laughs> Why Jackie Gleason? I don't know. I just really liked it. Liberace. I don't know. There's just a couple of guys from my youth I'd like to see again. I don't really have much to say to them. I just want to, you know, thank them for their contribution. I mean, I would, you know, I would thank Lovecraft, you know, for, for writing something. Yeah. And Lovecraft, I, you know, I'd love to have him on the show. <laughs> I would be afraid to untie him from the chair for fear that he might try and cannibalize me. Yeah. <laughs> not that not that living Lovecraft would do that. But I'm just afraid. No, know, zombie Lovecraft. Zom- zombie Lovecraft surely. might do that. Yeah, he'd need it red for three months. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think at this point, you know, they do make that final leap where they say, "Well, they they haven't made the like you say they haven't made the leap that uh, Charles has been replaced, but they think that Charles may have called up Kerwin and he's been Doctor Allen." Yeah. They, they do kind of figure that out. Right. They they think back on the wave of vampirism with when he did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that got to have a red for three months kind of thing. They decide what we've got to do is get into the bungalow and find those catacombs to see what's really going on. Yeah, so exciting when they decide to do that. Yeah. <laughs> the Doctor War or Mister Ward and, and Doctor Willett they they get their stuff together. They have valises and certain tools and accessories suited to architectural search and underground exploration. Yeah, and uh, they fifty they feet of rope out. Yeah, 50 they have a telephone and the rope and they have everything they need. They head out to the bungalow. Now, they know that the bungalow was built in kind of a modern age without the builders necessarily knowing about those catacombs. So they go down to the cellar and they start looking for some kind of portal or, or something that Charles would have come up with to get him down right. into those catacombs. Mm-hmm. And it's it's difficult to find. But eventually they, uh, they find a, a, there's a platform by the wash tubs mm-hmm. and... Willet figures out a way to move it, and underneath there's a manhole. Yeah. He opens it up, and a blast of foul-smelling air comes out. Noxious, even. Yeah, mephitic. And it, it knocks Mr. Ward out. It's so nasty. <laughs> and, uh, 
Wait, hold on. You're telling me a character has fainted in a Lovecraft story? <laughs> you know, normally, sometimes I that, that makes me laugh. At this point, I think it's so neat that it's so foul smelling that it just knocks him right Absolutely. Out. Yeah. No. 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 It's uh, th- this is the first time we've had a good a good fainting in the story, and it's about due. So I'm I'm all right. Yeah. With it. <laughs> well, Doctor Willett gives him some cold water, wakes him up, and says, "You know what? I got to do this on my own. You're in, this really put you in such bad condition. I'm worried about your health." So he he takes Mister Ward out. He puts him in a cab. He sends him home. Dr. Willett summons all of his reserves of strength and fortitude, gets his valise together that's empty. He, he's got the valise because he wants to collect papers from down there. Right. And he gets ready to descend into the abyss. Ugh. And that might be a good place for us to leave it. We've got one more part left, I think, to cover. We've got a horrifying descent ahead of us oh. in what will be our fifth and final part of the case of Charles Dexter Ward. Thanks so much, everybody, for hanging in with us along this uh, long journey. Yeah. And, uh, I do want to say before we sign off again, thank you once again, everybody, for all the, the kind letters and, and messages. It's been great. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks again to Matt Foyer for his excellent reading. He does a wonderful job, and Matt is starring in the upcoming uh, The Whisper in Darkness film uh, from. The, yeah, when's that, when's that coming out, man? Uh, I don't. I don't know. Uh, I know that it it's been submitted to the uh, Sundance Film Festival. Uh, oh, so okay. it must be so already... it must be nearly nearly done. Okay. So we can look for that on the festival circuit. I'm sure that if you go to CthulhuLives.org, you can get the uh, the updates. On you that. will get all that info. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, glad to be back uh, talking with you, Chris. I had fun, and uh... yeah, it's it's good it's good talking to you, and it's good getting into the story. This is I gotta say one of my one of my favorites. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love it. I love it so much. Uh, with that, I am Chris Lackey. And I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And this has been the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. At hppodcraft.com. hppodcraft.com. HP